0: Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info.
1: It's hard to believe, but it is April 1st, 21, uh, 2021. Uh, well, the year is moving along very, very quickly. Uh, for us here on Political Rewind, and I suspect for a lot of you out there as well. Welcome uh, to today's show. I'm Bill Nigut. Um, We're going to talk a lot about the General Assembly on today's show. Of course, it was a very long night at the state capitol as lawmakers worked to pass new laws on the last day of the legislative session. And when that midnight deadline came, really about 1220, here's what happened. Oh, <laughs> Signy, die Speaker of the House David Ralston uh, gavels the 2021 session of the legislature to a close. They were able uh, last night for the first time in a couple of years after all the COVID-19 restrictions to uh, do the ceremonial and very, very silly uh, tearing up and tossing into the air of many papers that were sitting on legislators desks, leaving it to a dedicated cleaning crew uh, to spend a great deal of time today. Uh, picking up the mess that they left behind. Uh, Whether they left other messes behind or not is one of the things we'll talk about on the show today. But I I really think that many of the uh, stories that came out of the legislature over the last 40 days and even in the last day yesterday have been overshadowed by the sudden emergence of uh, strong criticism by some corporate leaders here in Atlanta and nationally – who are now speaking out about the election bills which were already signed into law last week by Governor Kemp. They include Delta Airlines uh, and Coca-Cola, our local companies, uh, Microsoft uh, in uh, the mix as well. Um, We'll talk about other companies that have gotten involved in the effort as we uh, are joined by our panel today, two of GPB's finest People who are up very late last night, the host of Lawmakers, Donna Lowry, is with us, as is a GPB reporter, Stephen Fowler, political reporter, Stephen Fowler. So real quick, Donna and then Stephen, how are you holding up? You had a late night last night, and we're grateful that you would uh, show up early for our show today. Donna?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm trying to keep my eyes open, but I, I'm hanging in there. You know, it's always good to go to the finish line to see the final. The, you know, every everything happened at the end. So I left there about 12:30 uh, or so, feeling pretty good about the fact that I hung in there for the entire time. But yeah, it 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 was it was an an interesting session that I'm sure we'll talk about today.
1: Stephen, uh, you, you hanging in? Yeah, you know, really,
2: it's more than just the 40 days of the session. It was the session and then the runoff before that and the election before that and the pandemic before that. So really, this just feels like the uh, end of a year plus long saga for Georgia. And it kind of feels like uh, a little bit like vacation coming on to talk about
1: it with you. Yeah, not so fast. The 2022 election cycle is going to start. It's already started, and it's going to heat up much quicker than a lot of people realize. Of course, it's Thursday, which means my partner on this show is the boss of the AJC, the editor himself, Kevin Riley. Kevin, you and I don't have to stay up any longer, or if we ever did. I did. I don't think you ever had to till the very end of a legislative session. It's one of the nice things about being a little older. (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm a little worried about Stephen, who I, whose work I'm absolutely familiar with, and know how hard he works. Just implying vacation, he might have jinxed us. You know, we don't like to do that in our newsroom. Imply things are going to slow down because we know what happens when you do that. So, Stephen, we're going to go right past that comment. And I certainly uh, know that you and uh, Donna have, as well as our crew at the State House, who I'm very proud of, uh, have earned some rest
1: without question. Um, we're also joined today by Professor of Political Science and, for the first time, we'll announce the Associate <laughs> Chair of the Political Science Department at Georgia State University, Amy Steigerwell. Congratulations on this promotion, uh, Amy.
4: Oh, thank you. I get to attend many more meetings. It's delightful.
1: <laughs> you, of course, oversee the interns down at the Capitol. Um, So most of them, uh, they're usually released a little early, though, aren't they? Do they stick around?
4: Um, It depends on the office. So, you know, we had a number of interns in leadership offices and also with, you know, some, like, for example, working on the budget committee. And so I I know that they were staying through to the end. And we do encourage them to sort of take advantage of the fact that they get to be there if they want to be and to experience it and so, you know, not to sort of... Pack that up, because there is, I think, something important. And also they would have gotten to see, um, you know, for example, attempts to uh, retaliate against Delta around about 11.30 p.m. So, you know, you you miss those things if you go to bed.
1: We'll talk about that in just a minute. Let me start by uh, first reading you a couple of statements that came out really kind of for for many of us from nowhere. Um, The corporations in Atlanta have been getting a lot of pressure from uh, voting rights groups, uh, saying, why aren't you speaking out more strongly? Why aren't you taking strong positions criticizing these election measures? Um, Because most of the comments have been relatively mild. And all of a sudden, uh, yesterday, we started seeing companies come forward. Let me read you from a Microsoft statement from Brad Smith, their president. Microsoft has been active in fighting um, many of the measures in the uh, election bill, Uh, but yesterday released a new statement which uh, read, uh, uh, we are concerned by the law's impact on communities of color, on every voter, and on our employees and their families. We share the views of other corporate leaders, that it is not only right but essential for the business community to stand together in opposition to the harm, harmful provisions and other similar legislation that may be considered elsewhere, meaning other states, of course. And, and Brad Smith went on to point out that Microsoft has now made a huge investment in the city of Atlanta, uh, making it one of Microsoft's largest hubs in the United States, and uh, as they create thousands of new jobs, they are concerned about uh, the uh, bills that passed, and, and they go into great detail on uh, what they don't like about the measures. Uh, Delta President Ed Bastian set out this statement. Since the bill's inception, Delta joined other major Atlanta corporations to work closely with elected officials from both parties to try and remove some of the most egregious measures from the bill. We had some success in eliminating the most suppressive tactics that some had proposed, However, I need to make it clear that the final bill is unacceptable and does not match Delta's values. He goes on to say that after having time to fully understand all that is in the bill, he sees that it's uh, harder for makes it harder for many unrepresented uh, represented voters, particularly black voters to exercise their constitutional rights to elect their representatives. This is Wrong. And then and then I'll turn it over to the panel. I want to play for you some sound from the chairman of the Coca-Cola company who went on CNBC last night and made this statement.
3: This legislation is unacceptable. Uh, It is a step backwards uh, and it does not uh, promote uh, principles we have stood for in Georgia uh, around broad access to voting, around voter convenience. Uh, about ensuring a, a election uh, integrity. And this is, this is, frankly, just a step backwards. We've spent many decades uh, p- promoting uh, within Georgia a better society and a better environment for business, And this is a step backwards. And we're very clear on that.
1: So, so Kevin, um, both Delta and just now, uh, James Quincy of Coca-Cola say they'd been working behind the scenes quietly to get some of these measures uh, stopped. But we're not aware of a whole lot of activity that went on, Kevin, and there have been a lot of questions raised about where the corporate community was on these bills, considering that they have spoken out in the past on other equally controversial measures. Yeah, you know, uh, Bill, I hope you'll indulge me for
3: a moment because it's become a very confusing situation. And I want to kind of paint a scenario and ask Donna and Stephen to weigh in here and see what they think. So let's go back. You know, the beginning of the session, you're a CEO of a company. Imagine that for a second. And you hear about these bills in the legislature that are being proposed, including eliminating one of those Sunday voting days, eliminating uh, no excuse absentee voting, and the list goes on. And, you know, the legislature does its its sausage-making, does its sausage-making. You're a CEO. You're probably talking to your staff, your lobbyists. And they come back near the end of the session and say, hey, you know all that stuff that was so outrageous? We've gotten them to take that out. And the stuff that they've got in there is somewhat commonplace in other states, for example, In other states, you do have to show a driver's license or state ID to vote absentee. In other states, there are limits on drop boxes. And the CEO thinks, "Okay, good. It's not so bad. Our folks have done their job. I'll I'll just move on with life. Do you guys, Donna, do you think that's the kind of thing that happens? that uh, while the the outrageous things were proposed at first and everyone there was so much commotion nationwide and then they backed off and sort of made it look like maybe they weren't doing such outrageous things
0: yeah you know the thing that the speaker kept saying yesterday he said it on our show he said it late night after the session ended is that they were all on the ta- uh, they're at the table. He said that, that Delta was at the table, that Coca Cola was at the table. So he was surprised that they, they came back. Um, and in, in Delta's case, especially on the last day of the session, to have something to say about it. So I don't know whether the images of, first of all, the, um, the optics involved with the, the way the governor signed the bill. Um, uh, Representative Park Cannon being dragged out of the Capitol. If that changed everything, you know, it was one thing for them to be a part of the process and think that things are going in a certain way. But then it was another thing, the way that the bill was signed within an hour after it had passed. And then the other optics involved with the whole situation of, you know, um, seven white men in, you know, <laughs> signing this bill. Um, into law. So I think maybe that had an impact. There was so much about what happened after that. I'm thinking that there was, there was a feeling like we've got to think about this thing again. Maybe this, you know, this is worse than we thought it was. And we can't, we've got to speak out.
1: Steven.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's a 98 page law that touches on just about every aspect of how Georgia conducts its elections. And it's something that I'm pretty sure most of the lawmakers that voted on the bill don't fully understand and comprehend what was in it and what was not in it. And so, you know, uh, I I think the business community, especially, you know, they have lobbyists that are involved in the process and keeping up with things. I think, like kind of what Donna said, up until the very end when it was signed and there was all of the controversy about how it was signed and Park Cannon's arrest and things, I don't think the business community necessarily felt that it needed to take a stance on this legislation after the things had been worked out, the more extreme measures had been taken out or shot down. Um, But if you look at the substance of the statements, other than Microsoft, most corporations have issued statements that vaguely you could either read them to be condemning Georgia and condemning the bill, or you could read it as maybe a vague hostage scenario where these corporations have felt pressured into saying something and maybe they don't really mean it or believe it. And, uh, you know, there's other than Microsoft, there's no real substance to we don't like X, Y, Z provisions of this bill. And so what uh, Delta in particular has managed to do is anger just about everybody involved in the process by issuing these executive statements.
1: Well, Amy, one of the reasons that perhaps what Stephen is suggesting that maybe people are angry at a a Delta Airlines is that the question is, what do you do now? This bill has (laughs) been signed into law. Uh, There is reference, I think it's in the Delta statement from Ed Bastian, that they're going to be looking at uh, remedies at the federal level. Certainly, there's a congressional uh, bill now. The House has passed the For the People Act sitting in the Senate. Um, but maybe one of the reasons for some frustration, the frustration Stephen's talking about, is the bill is law.
4: Yes, I mean, the bill is in fact law, it goes into effect on July 1. 1- Um, And so I think you've got dueling things. I I think both Donna and and Stephen are right. I think on the one hand, what you have um, is, as Donna said, that for some people, like the issues came back up, especially with the signing, the optics around that, watching uh, one of the elected state representatives be arrested for knocking on the door, um, when also she should not have been able to be arrested uh, because of other provisions in law that say that members aren't allowed to be. Um, On the other side, you've got the fact that. Um, part of what occurred is that there were these really, uh, highly problematic and seemingly targeted at minority community provisions that were in the original drafts of the bill, the outlawing of Sunday voting, etc. And I think when those then were stripped out. A number of people said, oh, okay, it's handled because sort of, as Stephen said, they hadn't really read the rest of the bill. I think most people don't understand sort of the provisions on drop boxes. Yes, they're still allowed, but in most counties, they're highly restricted in their usage and access to them in the timing. Um, I think there's confusion about what it means for the IDs and the absentee balancing. I think there's still confusion about What it means for um, the shortening of the runoff period, which is one that uh, a lot of people are sort of not giving attention to and what that's going to mean. And so all of this together makes it really difficult because it was done. It was done very quickly. Uh, A lot of the substitutes were put in very much at the last second. I think it's possible that people really weren't paying attention enough that they should have been. And now that people are actually reading what is law. They're having to say, wait a second, this is actually really a problem, but it's also, well, too little, too late, because now it's law.
3: Amy, yeah, but- uh, what do you, let me ask you a couple things, too, and then we'll see what Stephen and Donna think. Um, so to me, another challenge with all of this was is, of course, the timing and the fact that this the legislature made these moves right after this you know the republican problematic losses in the presidential and senate races and the fact that those early proposals appeared to lay bare the motives that the republicans had they may have backed off those proposals but people remember what they said and did and uh, ascribed motives um, it, it, how, why would the corporations let that not stay
4: aware of that That is an excellent question that I wish I had an answer to. I mean, the only thing I can come up with is that on some level, they thought they they recognized that likely they weren't going to be able to kill the bill overall. And so instead focused on getting rid of the incredibly problematic provisions. Right. Especially those that were, I think, um, much more sort of facially problematic. Um, again, I think a lot of people don't really understand the implications of what's going on. I think a lot of people weren't really paying attention to, for example, the provision about um, who is now the head of the state election board. And I know Stephen pointed this out that um, Governor Kemp now gets to appoint that person because the legislature did, like made a big deal that they wanted that power and then did not actually fill that position and things like that. But I'm, I'm unclear, to be honest, of why, if they were concerned about it, they didn't keep paying attention.
1: Uh, Stephen, let me, let me uh, move on just a little bit in terms of this, because we've already mm-hmm. seen, uh, late last night, legislators reacting to these uh, corporations. For instance, I think I'm right. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, we know that every year Delta is uh, eager to get a, a, a tax exemption for its fuel uh, the fuel that it buys, a, a, a fuel tax exemption. It's worth about $35 million a year. It's been given to them and taken away for political reasons several times in the last uh, number of years. And I believe the Senate stripped uh, Delta of the fuel exemption at the last minute last night. Am I right about that?
2: So the House did that.
1: So the House, the House added did. An am- okay.
2: Yeah, they added an amended version to a bill that would reimpose the jet fuel sales tax As a shot across the bow to delta uh it had it was a message and not a a likelihood because the senate said they weren't going to do that because because of the delta provision but also there were other measures that were in that bill that senate leadership didn't like but yeah they sent a message you know i don't know how effective that message may be but the message they sent to delta is um you know you want to do that and i mean house speaker david ralston after the session had a little gaggle with reporters and he talked about how <clears throat> for the first time he bought a Pepsi and drank it uh, just to see what it was like, you know, because of, I, I guess um, to see, you know, if Coke was going to try to boycott uh, or, you know, I-, I guess, yeah, it was some sort of boycott of his own to see. So we're in <laughs> the stage right we're in the stage right now, Bill, with voting and election laws and things, and we have been for a couple months where optics are the name of the game. It doesn't actually fundamentally matter what is happening or not happening, but optics are what's happening. Most of those extreme provisions that were introduced in the legislature were never, ever going to make it anywhere near law. They didn't have the support. They didn't have the appetite, and they didn't have the you know, legal language to do it, but optically— it sends the message to the Republican base that they want to make these changes to secure the vote, and to Democrats, it sends the message that Republicans don't want black people voting. And that's where we're going to be at for the next year and a half of Georgia, regardless of the actual minutiae of bills and decisions and statements from corporate leaders.
1: Donna, Speaker Ralston uh, gave a, a, a statement. I don't know if it was in the gaggle that Stevens talking about or not, but he essentially said... Uh, they like us when we're giving them things they want, but not so much when we don't. I you know, Ralston's a fairly even-handed leader in the State House. Um, I found that comment worthy of some explication. I mean, to suggest that uh if you don't we don't give you what you want, or or we, we may give you what you want, but you you turn and criticize us on the larger issues. I found that to be an odd statement for him to make.
0: Yeah, he did talk about that and actually he said, you know, how I like my little sayings. He says a dog doesn't um bite the hand that feeds it. He said that that, you know, basically Delta and Coca-Cola and all these big corporations have received you know, they like us when they receive stuff from us and then when, when they don't get what they want, then they, you know, they come after us and so he was was pretty upset over that the whole aspect that Georgia they were picking on Georgia in particular, and he mentioned other states and that he wondered. He said, "Actually, I'm going to call my friend at Bastion after all of this is over and and talk about you know are you going to um, say the same things in other states that have some restrictions also?" And he mentioned New Jersey in particular. I can't remember some of the others, but so yeah there the feeling is okay, all of a sudden now you know that we're um you know that we you've been getting stuff from us, but now now you're going to say, okay, now we're we're um we're going to attack you, you know we're not happy with the with, with what you're doing in the general assembly, so yeah he he was not happy.
1: Uh, Kevin, let me state what I was trying to say more articulately. I think it was such a it was such a statement of a transactional philosophy on the part of the speaker.
3: I do think what he had to say, uh, if you could I mean, you know, having gotten to know the speaker through the years, I think what he had to say shows a, a few important things, both about him and 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 as Steve pointed out, the the place we're at in Georgia. The first, of course, is that remark about other states. I think, does offer a clue to saying, look, we didn't do anything that isn't fairly common around the country or commonplace. I do think that's the view on the Republican side, that the kinds of things that are in this bill are the kinds of regulations and laws that other states have. Uh, second, we're seeing this diversion uh, as, you know, Republicans used to be the party of business, and more and more as they go toward the... Uh, sort of social issues, the wedge issues, to hang on to their voters. They they're departing from business interests. I mean, if you're at Bastion, you have a massive constituency of customers, employees, sur- uh, suppliers that you cannot ignore. Uh, how those people see the world. And then uh, the speaker is very protective of his members and of the institution he runs. And when he believes, I I think, you know, part of what he was doing is when he sees that institution under attack, he's going to defend it. Because, uh, and in his view, they they had every chance to influence this legislation. And once it was passed, they they came out. But but when they needed to come out, they didn't. I, I believe that would be his view.
1: Uh, I need to get to a break. When we come back, I really want to uh, talk to the panel about the the Kemp response to uh, the corporate criticism. The governor was on CNBC last night. He had a response. We'll talk about that and a lot more with our panel after these messages.
3: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today.
1: Quick program note before we uh, continue. Stephen Fowler pointed out that it's we've been busy really since January of 2020 covering politics, and it just didn't end, went on and on and on, and maybe it's time to give some people a break. Well, that's what we're going to do at Political Rewind. We're going to give the team a day off tomorrow for the long, give them a long holiday weekend with Easter on Sunday. So uh, Political Rewind will not be with you Uh Tomorrow, NPR will replace us with a different show. But don't worry, we're going to be back bright and early on Monday morning with uh, another uh, show. Uh, we're joined today by Kevin Riley, Donna Lowry, Stephen Fowler, and uh, Professor Amy Steigerwald. Um, Amy, I'm going to start with you. Uh, I, I've been hearing from any number of associates, friends of mine, who are what I would call moderate Republican. Um, Republicans who've not been happy necessarily with President Trump, in fact, have been quite critical. They're kind of part of that two point, GOP 2.0 that Jeff Duncan likes to talk about. And, and they've been saying to me they think that uh, Georgia has been really, really misrepresented, that there are aspects of this law which deserve positive attention. I'm not suggesting that I necessarily agree with them, but but I think it's worth – hearing what some of those thoughts are. And Brian Kemp expressed it rather clearly on CNBC last night. Let's listen to a little of what he said.
5: And that's what's so frustrating about this. A lot of the points that you're putting up on the screen about banning water and food, that's not true. Voters can bring water and food in line. People can serve and hand out bottles of water and food as long as they're outside the 150-foot boundary of a polling location that we keep voters from being harassed, intimidated, or electioneered. County elections officials can still give water. You just said that uh, we were taking away drop boxes. There were counties last year that didn't even have a drop box because it's never appeared in the law before. This legislation mandates that every county have at least one drop box. We have 159 counties in Georgia. 134 of those counties under this legislation will be offering more hours of early voting not less. So I would encourage these CEOs to look at other states that they're doing business in and compare what the real facts are to Georgia. And I think their focus will probably need to be in other places and not here.
1: So, Amy, um, Republicans, many feel they've been steamrolled on this by by the national media, certainly by uh, many of us here in the Georgia media. Um, One of the things I thought was interesting is, and it came up at the very end of the conversation before the break, you know, this the issue of water has become this major talking point as a humanitarian issue. Maybe that's okay. Maybe it isn't the most important thing. But this notion that the state has the right to intercede and take over a lo- local election if under circumstances they deem appropriate— That strikes me as one the governor hasn't responded to and that Republicans are going to have a hard time uh, turning into something positive.
4: This is an excellent example where, in fact, both of these thoughts can be true. On the one hand, right, we have 159 counties, and I think for people in Georgia, you don't really recognize, number one, how many counties that is and also how widely disparate they are. So some counties have a total of 2,000 registered voters. Some counties have well over 200,000 registered voters. So in a lot of these smaller counties, yes, this law, in fact, puts in place measures that didn't exist before, much more uniform hours, longer hours, weekend voting, the requirement of drop boxes, On the other hand, in a lot of the larger counties, it limits them because it put caps in place that didn't exist previously. And so that's where a lot of the disconnect is coming. But when it comes to taking over the elections, that's, I think, going to be the place where we're really going to start to see some things. So the law stipulates that uh, the election board, which will now be headed by uh, a chair that either chosen by the state legislature or, as will happen now, is chosen by the governor because the state legislature didn't actually choose that new chair, um, can, if they find that there has been a pattern of uh, malfeasance or non or ne- gross negligence in the administration of elections, take over county election boards. And I think one of the big issues that's going to come up there is what does that look like? What does it mean to say that there is malfeasance or nonfeasance? Who gets to determine that? Those standards are not actually laid out in the law. Um, and that does then give a lot of power to that uh, newly appointed person that is now going to be running those county election boards for then what's going to happen after that and a lot of very subjective decisions that can be made.
1: Stephen? yeah so i mean
2: you know i said earlier this is a 98 page law that you have uh you know 10 or so pages that people like governor brian kemp are pointing to to say look at what we're doing to make things better you know uh poll workers can be serving adjacent counties counties have more flexibility in putting out equipment for lower turnout races you know expanding early voting access for most and some and then you've got 10 or so pages that voting rights groups and democrats are saying Uh, This is not a good thing. It makes it harder for people of color to vote. It's based in conspiracy. It doesn't work. And then there's 70 other pages that fundamentally change elections that nobody really understands or talks about. And so, I mean, this is kind of a Rorschach test for the future of voting and the future of politics in Georgia, that depending on how you want to look at this, you can see exactly what you want to see. And, you know, the governor is right to uh, several extents. That Georgia actually does have better voting laws than many other states, and especially blue states, even with these new restrictions. But Georgia also has a history of being very, very terrible with its voting laws against people of color. Um, everything from the runoff system to uh, grandfather clauses and poll taxes. And, uh, you know, there was an entire period of, I think, about 50 years where there were no black legislative elected officials in Georgia because the governor at the time ran on a campaign of black disenfranchisement. So Georgia's history with voting laws doesn't give much confidence for a large section of Georgia's population. So that's the lens that they're viewing these changes through. And, you know, given Georgia's tight, close electorate in 2018 and in 2020 and probably in 2022, you know, both things, like Amy said, are true and a little justified.
3: Kevin, you know, I think Stephen makes a great point because uh, I think one of the provisions that survived and I haven't gotten my hands on the bill to read the whole thing yet um, uh, is that, for example, voting has to counting of votes has to be continuously done. It can't I mean. So, I mean, let's flashback. You know, we've got Georgia, the nation's eyes upon it. We're trying to get the results of these, these uh, senatorial elections or the presidential election. And, you know, the live trucks are outside the county uh, headquarters where the voting is. And basically the spokesperson comes out and says, well, it's kind of late. We send people home and uh, we'll start again tomorrow. You know, we'll continue tomorrow. And the whole nation is outraged that, you know, that it's operating that way. So I think there are some things like that. But in the end, Stephen's right. The state cannot escape its history and its timing on this change. We just had the greatest turnout. Uh, We had an unusual result. And then Republicans acted. And I just think that the Republicans, in particular the governor and others, were just not prepared for how a nation would see this, despite their best efforts to spin it, you know, one way or another
1: so donna kevin Riley has twice now really put his finger i think and then stephen added to this on the overriding issue here um the the republican effort to change voting laws is all based on what many people believe was the big lie the donald trump lie that the elections in georgia and many other states where he did not win were fraudulent and were based on uh, uh, illegal voting and that sort of thing. And because that really is the context that starts all this, in addition to the Georgia history that Stephen and Kevin talk about, that really has put Georgia under fire. And I want to play for you, Donna, and then give you a chance to respond President Biden was on ESPN uh, doing an interview for the start of the baseball season, the Braves Play Philadelphia, this afternoon at 3.05, opening uh, day game. Um, and here's what Biden said when asked about whether he supports the players' union, the Major League Baseball Players' Union, having discussions about whether to move the All-Star game out of Atlanta.
3: I think today's professional athletes are acting incredibly responsibly. I would strongly support them doing that. People look to them, they're leaders, the very people who are victimized the most are the people who are the leaders in these, in these various sports. And it's just not right. This is Jim Crow on steroids, what they're doing in, in Georgia.
1: Of course, Donna, the president is suggesting that it's African-Americans and professional athletes who are being hurt by these uh, laws and who are now responding.
0: Yeah, and I think the big thing is that, that what you've been hearing, you know, what you just talked about is you had an, an election that we, we saw the votes counted over and over again. We know no problems with the election. And yet what gets under everybody's skin who's against all of this is. It wasn't, you know, why fix the system that wasn't broken? Uh, and if if you're going for fixing it on um, based on uh, you thinking there's some kind of problem, then you know, does that invalidate a lot of the um, the offices, a lot of the election results, including some of the people who the people who are in the general assembly? Everybody was up for re-election, so I think that is a big part of it. It really kind of says. Uh, okay, so you're saying nothing's wrong with this. nothing nothing was wrong with the election, but so and but you're going to make changes. So what is really the underlying reason? And for many people, the feeling is it's racial, that there is some problem with you must have a problem with the fact that the numbers of African American voters, people of color, just surged at the to the polls. And so it, so there must be that. Because you know in the election you're saying there was no problem so so it it does smack for a lot of people of um of a racist attempt to um change things and when when they're still on out on of one side of their face saying nothing went wrong so I think that's really it and one of the big things that came out also yesterday was the fact that all of these african american CEOs and executives Who, um, and there aren't that many, but they, you know, from Mike Merck and TIAA, either former or current Citigroup, they all came out and said, hey, listen, we have a problem with this, and speaking out too.
1: Um, Amy, uh, one of the other problems that Georgia Republicans who passed this law are facing is. That, as, as Stephen and, and Kevin have pointed out, this is a 90-some-page bill, and there's all sorts of stuff in it that nobody understands yet. And so, unfortunately, there is disinformation that has also gotten out. For instance, uh, President Biden, in that interview with ESPN yesterday, repeated a, an incorrect a, a statement, made an incorrect statement about the Georgia law. He once again said, it's going to call for polling places to close at 5 o'clock how outrageous that is when working people are not able to get to the polls. Um, the Washington Post uh, gave him some Pinocchios when he made that statement because there's nothing in the Georgia law that changes uh, the hours from 7 o'clock, the traditional closing time. So, you know, Republicans are also facing that sort of uh, disinformation, um, and, and that f- furthers the problems they deal with. Definitely. Now, some of that relates back to there had been provisions in the bill that stipulated
4: that. So some of it is that, right, this got changed very quickly, right? There were multiple iterations of the bill. There were multiple ones that came in. This ended up being kind of a what actually got passed was kind of an omnibus substitute that got put in, uh, if I remember correctly, about an hour before they actually had a committee hearing on it. Most of the members of the committee hadn't even read the bill. And so the thing is, is that that was in the, in the bill. Right? It's just that it wasn't in the one that finally got passed and signed into law, but I think it sort of points to more broadly, again, this real concern dating back to the history that everybody is talking about, dating back even to those optics that Donna was talking about at the very beginning, That and this idea, right, sort of as the CEO of Delta pointed out, that the bill starts by saying there were massive problems with the election in Georgia, Objectively speaking, the November election and the January runoff were incredibly well run, right? The primaries were kind of a debacle. We got a lot of international attention on that. They fixed the problems. They ran it incredibly smoothly. We counted the votes multiple times in multiple different formats that showed it ended up the way it was. And so then this idea that we have to make these sort of broad scale changes to all of the various and that's of how elections are administered to address problems that sort of, as Donna said, nobody can actually articulate what's wrong and, you know, what was wrong, for example, with their own election really creates sort of this broader issue as there then is this question of what exactly are the provisions what precisely do they do what are their broader implications how do we understand them and so yes there's a lot of misinformation but i think there's also um real concern about what it is that we're doing and what we're trying to get to
1: kevin let me give you a quick last word before i got to get to our final break all of what uh
3: we're talking about presents a challenge bill for this show for uh, reporters who've joined us, and for the AJC. We've got to make sure people in Georgia understand exactly what the bill says and let people debate what's right or wrong.
1: Kevin, I'm so glad you said that. I have gotten so many notes from people who've said exactly that uh, to me. Make sure people understand it. I hope that that's what we've been doing, um, maybe not in an entire show you know, a punch list of those things, but we have tried uh, to talk about the realities of that measure as opposed to what some people think is in it. Let's get to our final break of the show. When we come back, let's go down a punch list what passed and what didn't that people have been paying attention to on Sine Die last night. This is Political Rewind. <laughs> Stephen Fowler, you have been down at the Capitol paying very close attention to the entire session. And Amelia Brock reminds me that you already have a piece up on the GPB News website that tells people what is in the bill. So I would really recommend that people go take a look at what your article, your lengthy article says. So thank you for that. And let me stick with you, Stephen. Um, One of the good news stories out of the state Capitol was the passage of the uh, overhaul of citizens' arrest. And here's just uh, one legislator's response, Carl Carl Gilliard of Garden City, saying why he thinks it's so important.
0: Is there anything that concerns you about this
3: bill? It took too long. Um, This bill, to be around for 150 years, Georgia now is the first uh, state in the nation. And because of Georgia, uh, Florida,
1: uh, South Carolina, and New York have followed. They have bills that they dropped. So I'm glad that we're taking the lead, but it's much too long. Stephen, a very important measure. You talked about the dark history of the state. Boy, the old citizen's arrest law is a perfect Civil War example of just that. They finally remedied it, Stephen.
2: Yeah, and what it does, you know, Georgia is now the first state that uh, has taken steps to remove its citizen's arrest statute. Uh, doesn't completely repeal, completely get it off of the books. There are some things and some instances where certain people can detain somebody that they think uh, are suspected of a crime, but certainly not in the same way that was on the books before or that was suggested in the beginning of the Yvonne Arbery case where you know, a prosecutor declined to press charges initially citing that law. But you know it's one of those things where uh, Georgia has – kind of overcome its past and overcome its history, but it's taken an event like the death of Ahmaud Arbery at the hands of three white men to catalyze change. You know, last year we had a hate crimes law that had been languishing in the legislature for a long time, but after the session came back from a coronavirus suspension, it was something that was taken up and crafted and perfected and passed with overwhelming support and so now one year later we have the same with a citizen's arrest statute and it just it it goes to show that georgia isn't the state it was 10 years ago 50 years ago or 100 years ago and so it it's it's interesting to watch that the same state that can pass a hate crimes law and a citizen's arrest statute can in the same stroke enact voter restrictions and consider legislation expanding gun rights after a mass shooting and just this uh political duality that we're currently experiencing
1: um donna i i want to talk about another measure that uh passed last night we've talked about it on the show before but i'm going to personalize it if you don't mind i i was watching yesterday afternoon i watched the Derek chauvin trial and the riveting testimony of, an, of, of, of a gentleman who was standing there and saw the whole thing unfold and broke down into uh, sobs uh, when he recalled just what happened to George Floyd. It was as a result, really, the first incident that really got the nation's attention on police uh, violence against minority, commu- in minority communities, talking about defunding the police, rethinking how police forces should be funded, and, uh, and yet, Last night, the uh, legislature passed the measure which prevents cities and other municipalities, counties from decreasing their police budgets by more than f- by five percent or more.
0: Yeah, that's right. That was that, that bill went back and forth.' There's so many amendments, but in the end, yeah, it did pass. and that is because um, with all of the um, everything that happened over the summer when it came to the marches and the protests and everything, There were certain cities like atlanta looking to take some money away from the police department to put into mental health and other things became known as defund the police so so this will only allow five percent to be taken out of a budget for over five years um to um not to not take anything uh for municipalities not to take anything out of their the budget so uh, there was, you know, that went down party lines as expected as a lot of things did this session,
1: Kevin,
3: uh, the difficulty in, in what's happened, you know, going back to those summer protests and, uh, you know, this I've watched parts of this trial going on now, and it's, it's just awful to have to watch and revisit for so many people, especially the witnesses. Uh, until we can talk about this and get together on reasonable terms and try to find an answer, no bill, uh, no policy is going to save us on this. In fact, it may just make it harder for us ultimately to get to the place where we want. Um, I don't think anyone seriously doesn't value having police in their community, and I don't think anyone would disagree that it's, we're at a difficult moment where we need to look at are we asking police to do a job Uh, in a way that just makes it impossible for them to do without excusing, advocating for either side. We need to get this right, not pass random bills in the legislature.
1: Amy?
4: Um, I think the other thing that's interesting, just to sort of flip it on its head a little bit, is that Um, That measure in particular is one, right, it was was championed by the Republicans, obviously, in the General Assembly, but it also goes against sort of the traditional conservative value of local control and the idea that uh, the state or the federal government should not be making those decisions, and instead localities should be able to make decisions that uh, are best for where they are in addressing their needs. And so I think that that's also an interesting tension that we're going to want to Sort of continue to watch and see, because there's been, I think, a lot more measures that have been coming out of the state legislature, which are more of that of suggesting that there are certain things that the localities are, are not allowed to do because they don't like them and, and where they come in and what types of measures are being allowed in that sense and where they're being given freedom, because it does sort of hit to these sort of broader things of making those decisions. I mean, part of what was also intriguing in the passage of that is that they were pointing to statements that had been made about Atlanta. But, of course, uh, earlier in the day, Mayor Bottoms had given her uh, State of the City address where she called for actually hiring, um, I think it was 250 more police officers. And so some of this is also sort of at tension of where the sort of discussions are and where they go, um, as well as sort of criminal justice reform efforts and other things that the state, uh, sort of once again to Stephen's point, has actually been a national leader on.
1: As we start running short on time, Stephen, um, once again, gambling failed, a sports bill, a bill that would have uh, created a constitutional amendment so that voters could decide whether they want sports betting or not failed, Because it is a constitutional amendment, it needed Democratic support, and Democrats wouldn't support it. Did did they withhold their support as payback for what they don't like about other bills that the Republicans passed? Since, after all, there are a lot of Democrats who like the idea of sports betting.
2: Well, again, you know, everything is optic. So that certainly played into it to a certain degree. But uh, as Speaker Ralston mentioned, when things were done last night, there are a lot of Republicans that don't like the idea. And there are a lot of Democrats that don't like the idea. And when you need two-thirds, you can't really afford either one of those.
1: All right. Um, that one will be back. No question, as will uh, casinos, horse race gambling in the sessions to come. Donna, one last very quick thing. The, the one thing the legislature has to do is pass a budget. They did that. Twenty seven point two billion, I think, is the figure. And they've tried to restore funding for education, which they cut back during the pandemic, thinking they were going to mm. be short on funding. Um, and so they they believe they passed a pretty progressive budget uh, last night. Yes,
0: right, yeah, absolutely. And they put more money into mental health, which could uh, kind of goes to what we were talking about and the whole effort to defund the police. The, the feeling that also we're coming out of pandemic and the mental health issues are very very real and and very big. And so they put more money into that. And I think overall, it's so different from in the past when we um, had to deal with cuts. So it was nice to focus on something that, you know, a, a budget that actually gave some things out, you know. This Don, time.
1: Don Lowry, congratulations on another wonderful season of lawmakers finishing last night. Stephen Fowler, thank you for the work you did on behalf of GPB News at the Capitol. Associate Chair Amy Steigerwald, Political Science Department at uh, Georgia State. We're glad you were here. And of course, Kevin Riley, I always love having you with me on Thursday shows. We're going to take tomorrow off, as I've already said, back with you on Monday. In the meantime, take care, stay healthy. Of course, you're going to wear your masks. And if you haven't been vaccinated, now's a great time to do it. See you on Monday.